This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How was your weekend? Uh, it was quiet. Uh, Jack learned a really cool lesson about growing cucumber, that if you hook the leaves up under the fence, that the little tendrils will come out and curl around them. So... Yeah, on the ever-evolving ever stories of Jack and his capabilities, that was a cool thing for him to learn. Have you planted a beanstalk? <laughs> no, Jack does not have a beanstalk and he refuses to help to grow one. So I've got the seeds from King Seeds, but none are in the garden yet. And who are we introducing today? Do you know what, Sam? Today is a really great day because I get to introduce Hinemwana Baker. Um, she is an incredible human being, an artist, a musician, a poet, an author, um, who has, I think, just, it seems to me, devoted her entire life to this incredible creative pursuit, which has actually made a difference. I think there's so much energy in the work. But anyway, I should stop talking about your work and speak to you. <laughs> Welcome and thanks for joining us, very kind, very very lovely uh, words there, Mawera. I'm, I'm blushing all the way over here in Berlin. <laughs> so I was about to ask Henimoa, Moana, where are you? But you just said Berlin. Yeah. What are you doing in Berlin? So I um, I came over here six years ago uh, as a writer in residence. Um, Creative New Zealand send a, a writer or a visual artist over here every year, or they did before the pandemic. And um, so I applied and I got it, which was amazing because it gives you a year to write, um, you know, with, with actual, with a, with a wage and they have an apartment here as well that you get to live in. So it's, it's super luxurious and I was incredibly grateful. And then after a year, I actually got really sick that first year and couldn't, couldn't do a lot of writing, ironically. So I stayed on for another year. And after that, I... Although I come home or I have been coming home two or three times a year, I just feel like I, I wanted to explore my opportunities over here. So I stayed um, and I, yeah, I wrote, wrote a book about being here and, and now I'm doing a PhD. So, yeah, that's, that's the short story. That's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> and as 
Mawira is all but walking across the stage short of being called a doctor. It's an <gasps> interesting journey. Wow. What's your What's your PhD in? Um, I'm doing cultural studies, uh, which so kind of I guess cultural anthropology and post-colonial studies mixed up. Um, and I'm because I started out looking at looking at haka as a as a, a cultural treasure which has travelled the world and how Germany relates to it in particular. But then with the pandemic. Um, things just everything changed everything felt very different so nowadays i am working with my supervisors to write something which is probably a bit more like a book about how it's been to be maori and to be over here during the last two years um you know how it feels to be so far from home and not be able to get back looking back on uh yeah the six years i've been here so I guess it's more of a memoir now, uh, but my supervisors will still do as much as they can to turn it into a PhD with, with me because they love me and God bless them. <laughs> and the moral of the story is if you are a, an academic supervisor, just think twice about supervising a poet. <laughs> are they letting you write poetry in the thesis so good with me like and you know phds in general are very challenging for creative writers i'm sure you found that too mawera um because the academic form is so it can be so rigid and then you add on top of that germany which um is super rigid about many many things that um still surprise me to this day and so these two amazing people um are being very generous with me and helping me to i guess stay in my comfort zone and do what i do best at the same time as um writing in this different field so i'm very fortunate let's take the first of your music choices let's have tay hook hanger my yes why this one yeah oh god <laughs> so um so many reasons i didn't grow up speaking maori and this was one of the first Waiata that I learned from beginning to end and it's just got this amazing history of you know the Te Māori exhibition coming back home and um, I, I have memories of it being sung on on very important incredibly emotional occasions in my life and at the moment because of having been shut out and um, being over here and not being able to come home every time I hear it that is the context now, you know, the hooking of my the return home. So, so I'm just going to mute myself so that I can have a little cry. <laughs>
So you have an interesting, if not unique, perspective because you're not only seeing New Zealand from afar and thinking about the New Zealand identity from afar, but you're also thinking about your own identity when it's removed. Exactly. Like, what is indigeneity when it's um, away from its own land? Uh, part of part of what I'm reading is performance studies writing, and there's the idea of the performance of X, the performance of gender, for example. And so I'm, I'm reading a, a lot about the performance of indigeneity, which is, um, you know, can be very different to indigeneity itself. And, yeah, so over here in Germany, um, there's a little bit of romanticization of indigenous cultures in general, but, um, yeah, Maori stuff for sure. And a little bit, just a tiny little bit of appropriation, you know. So, <laughs> so I've been investigating that a little bit and finding out from a German perspective, or trying to find out from a German perspective, what, what it is about Haka, for example, that fills such a huge void in, um, in some of these German guys who end up, you know, actually teaching it, quote unquote, to other guys, German guys, in these new masculinity workshops or, you know, kind of new age um, healing workshops and stuff. Um, and it's a very, it's a huge question in Germany because there's a massive um, injury that's been done in this country, um, as we know, that has meant that it's not called to say, still to this day so much, it's not called to say, I'm really proud to be German. And yet, because we're all human beings, I guess we have that hunger for some, well, not all of us, but a lot of us do have that hunger for a spiritual side of life. I'm not excusing it, um, and I'm not saying I'm an expert on it either, uh, but that's one of the things I'm interested in um, from a Māori perspective, a person who's Māori in Germany. Yeah. And the other way is looking from Germany at New Zealand in a time when you can't get here. Has that changed your view of New Zealand? Um, do you want the honest answer? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I noticed this is supposed to be positive stories about people in their bubbles around the world. Um, it's been super hard, to be honest, um, heartbreaking. And I I know that when I get there, um, because I'm, I got a, an MIQ voucher, so I'm coming back on the 20th of December, which is amazing. Um, I know when I get there, a lot of my worries and hurt will will fall away. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. Um, but it's been, I, I do think it's a serious thing for a, for a government to um, keep its citizens out of its, you know, borders. I think it's a serious thing. Um, kind of legally and morally to do that anyway, but to do it in a pandemic was, I mean, it's just been life-changing. It's been life-changing. So I'm writing about that and I I do understand that for, and I, I just wouldn't say this on any other platform, I do understand that um, some of the people who have been profiled um, by the media there, maybe it's the first time anything bad has ever happened to them, you know. Maybe it's the first time they've ever had this experience of wanting to be able to do something, feeling they have a right to do it and not being able to. So there's a lot of outrage. But all I would say is that there's some genuine pain behind that. And um, I've never felt anything like it, to be honest. And I, I 
I got married because of it. Um, I probably shouldn't say that in public. <laughs> I got married also because I love my partner, but we got married recently because I was really scared of, um, of what it meant to be locked out for so long. Um, and I felt like I didn't have any ground under me, so I should probably try and get some legal support, you know, in the terms of, of a, a spouse visa. So, yeah, it's been massive. Yeah. You talked there about the the impact of the government decisions and perhaps about the the messaging around those decisions. How are you seeing those differences played out between what you're what you're seeing experiencing in Germany and seeing from afar in New Zealand? Mm-hmm. Is it is is it yeah, similar? It's a good I mean, most of what I feel is the same as what the rest of the world feels, which is that New Zealand did an incredible job. Um, in the first part of the pandemic. And thank God that the borders were closed and thank God that the number of deaths was limited, although each one of those mate is, you know, hugely painful for the people concerned. Um, I, I, alongside everybody else, was super relieved that all I had to worry about was myself and my loved ones over here um, and then I could relax and think, oh, God, thank God, you know, Jacinda and her team have got it, you know, in hand over there. So then when Delta arrived in New Zealand, I was gutted, just like, you know, I guess everybody else was. But still, it's it's a, a very um, minimal impact story compared to the rest of the world. And that's fantastic. And I'm not minimising the pain or anything, the lockdowns, it all sucks. And um, we've all been through it and we all know that wherever you are, there's nothing fun about it really. Um, although, I mean, I did hear you say, Mawera, in one of the other episodes that some people who um, who are in their lives super overcommitted and very, very busy had a good rest in, in the first lockdown at least, you know, and, and got some time to to breathe and... Uh, and and do some um, introspective individual things maybe or whānau things. Um, so I acknowledge that it's different for individuals and it's also different for communities and different for countries. But from here, looking back at New Zealand now, um, I guess I, I can only say on a personal level that I feel like I went through the pandemic in Germany and then just as we were beginning to slightly get back to some kind of functioning you know, Omicron is a new factor, obviously, but just as we're starting to get back to a life where we can do things and see each other safely, then it started to wind up in New Zealand. So in a way, I feel like I'm going through it twice. <laughs> because, um, and, and on each occasion, in each way, I'm here, I am in Germany, and no one in New Zealand can really relate to what's happening over here. And God, thank God they can't, because we don't want that. But at the same time, it's hard and you feel separated from people and you can't really reach them with your life experience, you know. So that was a couple of years or, you know, 18 months or whatever. And then now that it's kind of kicked off in New Zealand, people over here can't really understand what's going on over there or why people are reacting the way they are. So I feel like I'm kind of in a little bubble of one um, or at least me and my New Zealand mates over here um, whose friendship and support has been massive during this time, yeah. So I guess that's all I can say. I don't really want to talk too much about the politics of it because uh, I'm not a politician and I'm not an expert in that area, but I I do strongly 
believe that um, we would be in a much worse situation if we did not have Jacinda at the helm or the Labour Party with everybody, the Greens and everyone else around them. And I also believe at the same time that it's an extremely serious thing to lock citizens out of the country, um, of any country, at any time, um, but especially during the pandemic, it, it felt really scary. Yeah. We've had, however long it is, 18 months or so of the the alert level system, and now we're changing to this, uh, the, the the traffic light system. It's got an official yeah. name. I can't remember what it is, but the traffic light system, and it's yeah. much more. It's a diff, It's a different approach. It's and it's one which mm-hmm. has got a lot more uncertainty around yeah. it. That the the, yeah. the alert system was. It felt safe because, as you keep course, saying, yeah. the you know the border was closed. We felt quite yeah, safe yeah. behind that wall. Sure. Uh, you've been living in a much more uncertain environment for, for all this time. Mm. Does I wouldn't does, say that, actually. No? I wouldn't say that, no. It's been really scary here, too. It's not like the German government really had it all together. I don't think any government has really had it all together, to be honest. Um, they have done a pretty good job, given the country that, that they are, in that um, there's a lot of people here who are not not big fans of authoritarianism for very good reason. And also there's a lot of people, particularly in East Germany and East Berlin, um, which was Russian controlled, who have huge uh, suspicions when it comes to authority of any kind, and they have the lowest vaccination rate. So there's a lot of things to be balancing if you're, if you happen to be Angela Merkel. Um, thank God I wasn't. Uh, but the result was that there was there were some really annoying and you know frustrating delays with getting the vaccine rolled out. There were very very complicated and difficult to follow rules released you know on a weekly basis where we were like, hang on, what now? What do we do now? Um, I don't know. So it's not been all simple and straightforward over here, and I really feel for for anyone who's finding it challenging on that level. Um, as I say, it's it's just, I think it's all kind of shocking and confusing and frustrating um, because this virus is shocking and confusing and frustrating and new in terms of its global impact. Um, so while I'm watching you guys go into this traffic light system and there is a bit of confusion and there's fear, people are like, shit, you know, I don't feel as safe anymore. Um, I really understand that. What we did over here was slightly, I mean, it was it was kind of taken out of our hands because my partner's mum was very sick all of 2020. Um, she was in and out of chemotherapy and surgeries and stuff for cancer. And then um, sadly she passed away in March this year. So most of the pandemic for us has been, we just voluntarily did a very, very staunch lockdown of ourselves uh, you know, we weren't shopping and we weren't um, on public transport or around anyone except the whanau. So we, to a, to a certain extent, we lost track of what the rules were because we were just making our own rules and following those. Uh, yeah, but I really, what I want to say, I guess, is I really sympathise with this this stage that, that you fellas are at where you want to do things right well, most most of you do, <laughs> but you're a bit confused sometimes about what right is, and then there's these very strong um, conflicting uh, values that you have, especially when it comes to tangi and stuff. You know, it was very difficult for us with Michaela, 
when she passed away to know what the right thing was to do, you know. So it's happening worldwide. Everyone's been through it or is going through it. It's not um, it's not that everywhere else knows knows what to do or how to do it perfectly, yeah. The theme of this show is positive but not deluded. How, <laughs> how do you maintain a positive mindset in the face of all of that uh, confusion and yeah. conflicting values and so on? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I watched hours and hours of comedy. Uh, that's that's one of the things I did um, because you know I'm I'm a, I'm a kind of anxiety depression person from from long time ago. So I realised early on that I needed to provide some distraction, some really solid distraction for myself because otherwise I would just really um, ruminate on all of the possibilities, bad possibilities. So comedy was my go-to. I watched everything I could find (laughs) um, on Netflix and beyond. I, we tried, you know, a lot of things like we walked um, a lot when, when we could, when we were allowed to, we walked along the river, the Shui and we tried to, um, you know, exercise and do things like that at home. That was not as successful as it, it could have been. Um, but we, I guess, you know, I, to be honest, if you're asking me how I maintain a positive mindset, I didn't a lot of the time and I still don't. And I've had to just go, oh yeah, it's okay to drop every single ball or to drop every single spinning plate for a while and just feel devastated. Um, it's natural. And then just not put too much pressure on myself to, to climb back up to normal. Um, so it really did make a huge difference when we came out of winter because over here the winter is so dark as well as being cold and then on top of that we were locked down. So we just couldn't do anything or see anyone and it was pretty grim. A lot of the time too, myself and my partner were separated because Claude had to be super, super careful because of contact with Michelle. So we had several bouts of, I don't know, 14 or 28 days of also not being together. So yeah, I don't think I ever want to do another Zoom call ever again in my life. (laughs) (laughs) While I was doing it, we did things like we had um, every Friday night, we did a dance party. So uh, we set up uh, Zoom and and Spotify, and we just zoomed in a few people from Berlin and also friends from New Zealand and went just danced like lunatics. Um, sometimes we had little cocktail parties also like that with music going and we were all in our rooms bopping around. Um, yeah, so we did whatever we could with what we had um, at the time. Mm-hmm. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokudui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, hope you all can be stay beautiful superstar and your beloved and I really hope wherever you are, whatever's around you, this journey we're all honouring to be very, very sustaining and for you each day. The triumph of nature's are unique. And now I know for us all that we're a troubling time, a difficult time, and it's a time of change, it's a time of transformation. It's a time when it's so important to communicate and to be kind to ourselves and to each other, to be compassionate and understand that we are all individually experiencing the stress and strain of this time and also sharing this collective weight 
I believe in us and I think that we will get through this time with a lot of positive and there already has been so much positive. Of course, so much has shifted around us and so much has been lost. So it's important that we honour our grieving process, our grief, our feelings of loss, our feelings of sadness, that we allow them to come as honoured guests to our heart and welcome them and care for them, give them time and space to be felt and appreciated and then replaced by other feelings, feelings of relief, feelings of gratitude, feelings of love. All of these different things we can feel at different times, wonderful. And of course, within the spectrum of feelings, very often a challenge to understand and communicate the feelings of others. So in this time, if we can take a little step back and really give each other that time and that space and that permission to feel what we need to feel. I think this will be very helpful too. This is what I'm doing my best to do. I also feel that we're all doing our best at all times and for this reason it's so important to be grateful and appreciative of what each other and what we ourselves are doing every day. So I really hope for you at the moment you're finding ways to allow this moment in time to move around you, that you're having a sense of your groundedness, that stillness within you, that eternal aspect of you, that awareness, that consciousness, that pervades and connects all life. I hope you're having a sense of that security and strength that is in you. And also that you're having the opportunity to see how well you are doing and how well others are doing looking after each other, caring for each other each other at this tricky time. For me, having the opportunity to speak with you as part of the show is such a huge honour and I'm so grateful. It's made such a huge difference to me in this time. So I'm so, so grateful to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team and all of you for having me. Thank you. And as I am speaking to you now, of course, in my paradise home, Aldi Portis Dunedin, there's a soft rain falling. I am hopefully tomorrow making a giant costume so I can do the lighting of the Christmas tree. And there's going to be a beautiful choir singing. And we're doing a video for everyone. We can't have the big event this year like we did last year. But we're going to do a beautiful video for everyone. So I'm looking forward to that. So I hope you have things to look forward to as well. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Okay, you're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Hini Moana Baker. Hini Moana, I um, was listening to you before you were talking about um, how you have struggled with the with those sad times, with, you know, that feeling of sadness and depression. And, and you know, I look at your work and I just see this incredible creative force that runs through everything that you do. And and I how, how does that work? How do you manage the... How do you get yourself out of that sadness to be able to be such an incredible creator? Oh, my God. Marbetta, honestly, I'm seriously going to ring you up every day. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's a really good question because a, a lot of the time I don't. You know, I'm actually quite blocked a lot of the time writing-wise, definitely now. Um, and all the way through the pandemic, it was terrible. Like, I have really bad writer's block. 
And in the past, I've been able to get through it by journaling every day or doing like 10 minutes of just, you know, free writing, writing anything, keeping your pen on the page. But even that just fell away. All my coping mechanisms kind of fell away. And I, I mean, I launched a book in 20... I, I published a book, or BUP published my book in 2019. Uh, so that was before the pandemic hit. And since then, it's just been really... It's, 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 it's pretty blank in here, up in here. Um, it's one of the first things to go is my feeling of, um, because I guess it, when you're feeling so hopeless and you're feeling so scared, for a lot of people, their creative work is a comfort zone. You know, it's like a, um, a place where they go to be replenished. But for me, it's, it's really not like that because what, whenever I write, I know that I'm going to have to go to those places that are, are uncomfortable and, and frightening because that just seems to be how I'm built, unfortunately. So, therefore, I feel like I need all of my, uh, all of my kaha and all of my um, wits about me to my, my cousin, the way my cousin puts it, um, Anahita Gilday, she's also a really amazing writer. She says, you have to go down sometimes into the dark path know and the dark path felt like it was all around me at that time and it still to an extent does so the answer to your question is that um that's why i'm not putting out a book every year or every two years it really takes quite a long time for me to get into that space do you think when you come home that that will change do you think that will lift you out of that space and and bring you into a more a back into a creative creative mindset I just started, I wrote a poem yesterday, so I think um, I think the movement will help me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's actually about staying in motion somehow. And even though I really hate that flight and it's going to be scary flying with Omicron and it's going to be hard and sad uh, and I'll miss Claude and everything, I think something about being in motion is important for me to feel well overall and also to be able to let that stuff out yeah, or to be in touch with that stuff and mm. then let it come out mm. so hopefully I, um, I was fortunate to have Sam and our colleague Martin as my supervisors for my work and I remember one day just literally crying to them bawling my eyes out because I, I had had it a year where everything that you know that list of the worst things that can happen in your life oh. they all happened in one year yeah. and uh, sam and, and martin became my um psychologists who oh my <laughs> walked me through my life and this 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 doctorate thesis but i remember one day martin saying to me mawida just write the darkness write it oh yeah Actually, that is what I did, and, oh and the, the energy that that gave to the to the end work was just it was amazing, amazing. Can you tell me? I mean, I know it's supposed to be the other way around, but can you tell me what you wrote about? Like, what was your co-papa? Yeah, my work. Uh, it's called uh, um, the. It's an indigenous autoethnography, and it is. Um, oh my God, Sam! You just have to stop. The right evolution. Now. Oh my God. The evolution of an identity activist. Oh my god! And it was a, this incredible experience of actually writing about the the work that I do in that space, but yeah. also the work others do. And 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 really, I had to dig the darkness out of my soul because it was just 
yeah, so yeah, Sam helped wow. me. <laughs> but, um, and so is it am I able to read it? I would love to read it. You will be able to soon. I can just send it to you. I think am I allowed to send it, Sam? I don't even know you if are. I'm allowed to yet. Yeah, you Not are. ready to publish because I've still got to get permission um to use three newspaper photos that I'm in. You'll be the first person that I'd be sending it to. Really? That to be me, I would be super honored. Yeah. Oh, let's do that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, oh well, I hope that that happens for you when you come home. That you that it just that that creates the shift that you need to be able to keep going with what you're doing. Thank because you. Yeah, activism and your work, when people read your work and they connect with it, and it helps them to move off their own spaces that are holding them back. It's just so so much value and so important. Thank you. Yeah, and and ditto. Like when when we read others, I mean. Oh. It's just so true, that thing. I can't remember who said it now. Someone really important, probably white, said, um, <laughs> you read to know that you're not alone. You know, we read to know that we're not alone. Oh, God. Yeah, it's so true. Um, and, and the other thing that's happened for me too, which is difficult to talk about, is that not only has it been difficult to write, but it's been difficult to read. So it's kind of that, I think, the pandemic and it's huge symbolism. One of those symbols is this frozenness, you know, this this isolation and this lack of movement. And I kind of took that far too deeply into myself and it's very difficult to even break into a book or break into a piece of text because it will somehow, I fear that it's going to crack the wrong parts or something. So, um, yeah, that's getting a little bit easier now too, um, reading weird eh? it's weird how we respond and um you know i wouldn't i wouldn't change it because <laughs> i'm lovely and valuable and everything but um, <laughs> i would really love it i would love to be able to um keep reading at these times especially mm. i am going to squeeze in the second of your music choices i'm going to have lolita seaman sailor your home is the sea why this one mm. well my mum, some of my mum's whakapapa is over here. So a place called Obaamagao, a little village in Bavaria. It's kind of famous because they have a the passion play there. I think every, I think it's every ten years now. The whole village puts on the story of um, of Jesus Christ's you know journey to crucifixion. So they're a very Catholic village, a very Catholic part of the country actually. And my tūpuna from that side was a man who was a Catholic priest and then he ended up getting married and having kids and schlepping them all the way to Hamburg and getting on a ship and coming over to Golden Bay. So um, my mum used to know a few little German songs here and there and this was one of them that she um, used to sing, as also as the wife of a scuba diver. So, yeah, it reminds me of her. Seemann, deine Heimat ist das
Seemann, lass das träumen, denke nicht an mich. if you want to describe this from a German perspective or from what you're seeing about New Zealand, but we've seen lots of changes in society over the the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I guess, again, I can really only speak from my own experience. Uh, and what I've really valued about the changes that have happened over here, the one thing I've really valued is that certain friendships, certain relationships have gotten so much deeper and so much closer, closer than I could ever have imagined. Uh, of course, there's on the other side of that, there's the relationships that have really suffered through this. But because you asked me what I hope sticks, it's almost like an equal, um, an equal closeness has balanced out that distance with certain relationships. So, I mean, I can speak about Claude. We, we only just started seeing each other when the pandemic hit and we were faced with that idea of, do we lock down together? Um, and I wasn't in favour because I was like, I'm going to be a mess. I am so going to be a mess. And this person doesn't deserve that. You know, this, this new relationship, I didn't want to put that on Claude, but we decided to for various reasons. And I tell you what, there's nothing like a global pandemic to really show you who a person is in a hurry. Uh, so we got glimpses, I guess, of sides of ourselves and each other that we would never have seen if it wasn't for those circumstances. You know, it really shows you what someone's fundamental values are, uh, what their background is, um, just so many things uh, in a very compressed short, brief kind of timeline. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I'm really grateful that I've been fortunate enough to learn who it is that I can really trust on a really fundamental level with my well-being. So uh, again, I, I, I guess I'm speaking about friends, but also family. It took us a while, me and Claude, to convince Claude's whanau to be as careful as they as we thought they needed to be. They were a bit resistant in the beginning, but, uh, but you know, now we're all on that same kaupapa, we're all on that same waka, so we know that we've got each other's backs on an actual literal life and death level. And there's not very many other things in my lifetime that has shown me that about people. 
Do you think that there are any lessons that we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the the bigger sorts of problems we face as a society? And I'm thinking of things like climate change, systemic racism, social injustice, biodiversity collapse, all those those big things that we, we can't fix by staying at home for a few weeks. Exactly. Um, if only those things were seen as the emergency that the pandemic is seen as, uh, is all I can say. Um, there are times when my, even my incredibly dark sense of humour just fails when I think about what's coming. Um, so... Getting back to the uh, positive stories from people's bubbles around the world, <laughs> um, I would say that whatever solutions work for the pandemic long term are really the same flavour of solutions that will work for those problems as well, which are um, understanding that you're not alone, you really are not alone, and that on an extremely fundamental cellular level, we are each other and we cannot escape that. And, um, understanding that we're not okay until everyone's okay. Those things are true no matter what we're talking about. Um, I really hope that that's what we take out of this pandemic or that enough of us take that out of this pandemic that it makes a difference in those other areas. Because, I mean, even something like vaccine, um, you know, availability or, you know, making the vaccine formula available to other countries is... It's hugely disappointing the way that that um, European and North American and other countries have behaved and are still behaving when it comes to that. Um, like even when the Omicron variant came out, the first the first reaction of all of these countries is pull up the drawbridge. And although I can understand that because, as we were saying, the borders in New Zealand were uh, what kept New Zealand safe for so long, or one of the things, one of the most important things. Um, I just wish there was the same amount of energy and passion for let's get vaccines to everybody, you know, because while there are people in so many countries who are saying they don't want the vaccine and they have their reasons for that, their, you know, solid beliefs and reasons for that, there are millions more people who are desperate for it who cannot access it. And really, I just hope that we keep that front of mind. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to rattle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Well, I think um, you may be talking about artistically or personally. (laughs) Anything you like. Okay, so artistically, I think I'm most proud of um, getting shortlisted for for the Occam Book Awards. Like, that was massive for me. Uh, I have such huge respect for the other finalists and just, I don't know, it just felt huge. And especially in the middle of, you know, that happened just at the point where Michelle had just died and we were all pretty down over here. Um, so it was, it was a massive thing. It was hugely emotional. Uh, and I guess personally, the biggest success for me has been um, uh, convincing Claude to marry me, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and doing that, I mean, that's something I I actually never envisaged for myself, and uh, it's really lovely to have gotten to the point where I want to share that with somebody, and they want to do the same. So without being too cheesy, I think that's my personal success story. We are writing a book about these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? 
I think I'm really funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, my superpower is waking up completely awake and starting really in-depth conversations within about three or four seconds of opening my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, I do. Kind of involuntarily uh, in, in a lot of ways, just by living my life, I guess, and wanting to be able to live it uh, the ways that everyone deserves to live. So because I'm queer and also within that, because I'm, I've always identified as bi, bisexual rather than, you know, one or the other, that's been uncomfortable for a lot of people. So I feel like I've even had to be an activist inside the activist circles a lot of the time. Um, and in Maori circles, sometimes uh, I feel that whole urban rural split. And um, also because my dad didn't grow up on his uh, Papa Kainga because he was put in an orphanage when he was very young. So there's that separation. Um, sometimes I feel the pressure of uh, from an older generation to not be the way that we are. Um, so yeah, I've, I've activated, I guess, in those uh, contexts and situations. And also, um, I guess, from being uh, fortunate enough, and I have to say fortunate enough, to be white presenting. I mean, my moko kauai confuses people a little bit on that level, but I've lived my life as an essentially as a white person um, in the world, and that's given me huge amounts of privilege and access to things that people who are visibly not white do not get. So I've been um, in situations, again, involuntarily, where I, you know, definitely had to had to put my my aura into conversations um, and always will. So, yeah, I am an activist. And on one level, that's something I do on purpose, but a lot of the time it feels like it's just something I have to do. I have to live it. I have to be that way. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> um, on, a, on a normal non-pandemic day? Uh, when I was in New Zealand, walking my dog. Uh, one of the things I get that I find very difficult with depression uh, is exactly getting out of bed in the morning. So that's why I got a dog when I was there to walk me. He did a very good job. Uh, what gets me out of bed now is um, connecting with people. Uh, you know, I, I often make little dates with people so that I can be sure to be there and, and get that warmth of, of connection um, and apart from that what motivates me is I guess even in my darkest times I don't want to feel that someone like me someone who's Maori and Pākehā who's who's queer um, who's an artist I don't want to feel like people like me um, are ever invisible or silenced so that's that's part of what motivates me for sure so what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? My, my immediate challenge is um, is this trip home. Uh, I, I I'm not a, I'm an anxious traveller anyway, and this pandemic has just been you know, you know one of the things you can say back to anxiety usually is oh come on it's not that bad, 
it's not the end of the world. And so one of the things the pandemic has done is, is kind of laughed in the face of all of those things because it, it has been really bad. Uh, so my challenge will be staying calm and staying trusting and uh, and believing that I will be safe and that I will be looked after on that trip and, um, and during the, the time at home. My dad isn't well, and so that's going to be um, a challenge. Um, and it will also be a challenge saying goodbye again because uh, one never knows what's going to happen next. That's that's something we've learned definitely in the last 18 months. So those are my upcoming challenges. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? <laughs> oh, um, advice? Not really. I mean, I, I think that I'm much... I'm much more keen on listening to advice than I am on giving it. <laughs> I think to need it um, a lot. Um, but I guess aroha to aroha mai, you know, manaakitanga, all of those things. It's very difficult to maintain relationships at the moment um, with family and friends, for me anyway, who are not keen on getting the vaccine and who are, um, you know, very angry about those measures. Um, but I think that's one of the most important things is to try and find a way to keep that connection no matter what, because you, you're all going to need it. We're all going to need it when this is down the track a bit. Thank you for that. Mawera. Um, I'd actually, I'd like to share a couple of lines from one of my favourite poets. Um, it goes, that step that you're about to take will have to be wider than you're used to. Don't forget to move forwards, not backwards. Keep your hand on your mouth so everything stays in place when you when you break the surface. Mihi te tangaroa, mihi te hini moana. Now get in there, get under there, immerse yourself. Do it now, go, he'll be right behind you. I love that. Thank I love you. That. Now I'm having another try. <laughs> it has been wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you very, very much. And, um, and I look forward to connecting with you again. Thanks for your time. Oh. Thanks so much. Thank you. On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a kiwi in a cowrie tree. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Tessa Rose. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatane. And from Berlin, we've been joined by Hini Moana Baker. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Fifth day of Christmas, my true love said to me, Five bubbles, four to a tara, three sporty eels, two trout on ski, and a kiwi in a cowrie tree. On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me, Six sheep are surfing by the boss. Four to a tara, three sporty eels, two trout on ski, and a kiwi in a cow.
cherry tree On the seventh day of Christmas My true love said to me Seven merry mowers Six sheep are serving Five more balls Four to a tarot Three sporty eels Two trout on ski And a kiwi in a cherry tree Six sheep are surfing Five more balls Four to a turret Three sporty eel Two trout on ski And a kiwi in a carry tree On the ninth day of Christmas My true love sent to me Nine power peddling Eight wild pigs Seven merry mowers Six Sheep are surfing Five more paws Four to a turret Three sporty eels Two trout on skis And a kiwi in a carry tree On the tenth day of Christmas My true love sent to me Ten to it having Nine power peddling Eight wild pigs Seven merry Six sheep are surfing Five more paws Four to a turret Three sporty eels Two trout on skis And a kiwi in a carry tree On the eleventh day of Christmas My true love sent to me Eleven wetters racing Ten to it having Nine power peddling Eight wild Six sheep are surfing Five more pots Four to a turret Three sporty eels Two trout on skates And a kiwi in a carry tree On the twelfth day of Christmas My true love sent to me Twelve parsons playing Eleven winters racing Ten to eat Nine power peddling Eight wild pigs Seven merry mowers Six sheep are surfing Five more paws Four to a turret Three sporty eels Two trout on skates And a kiwi in a carry tree This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.